Our guest on the podcast today is Webb Simpson. Webb and his wife, Dowd, have hosted five CGF retreats. Is that right? Five, Webb? Sounds right, yeah. Okay. I think five. Yeah. Retreats in their home in Charlotte, North Carolina. They have five children, and their CGF retreats are full of energy with 40-plus college golfers um, and five kids running around the house. That's a great time. He is the winner of the 2012 U.S. Open at Olympic Club and the winner of the 2018 Players' Championship, uh, along with five other wins on the PGA Tour so far. Uh, Co-hosting as well is William Kane uh, with College Golf Fellowship. William has been a friend of Webb since they were kids and even caddied for him during Webb's first years on tour. William has been on staff with CGF since 2018 and is one of my favorite teachers of the Bible. Uh, He's taught at many CGF retreats. Um, We've been in a lot of Bible studies together. Looking forward to this conversation today. Fellas, welcome to Golf Life Faith. How are you Thanks, doing? Toby. One of those five kids you mentioned might be walking through here any minute. So she might she might get some video time. But thanks That's for awesome. having me. That'd be perfect. <laughs> yeah. William, how are you doing? Buddy, I'm doing great. Honored to be with you. Love listening in. Excited to be on it. Excited to be on with you, Webb. So eager to get going. Lots yeah. to talk about. Toby, well, let, Toby, yeah, I just gotta go say this. I got to say this because William and I always had a dream to like one day do golf together. Like what if we could, what if he could caddy from the PGA tour? That dream came true. But then the goodness of God just expanded our view of how good dreams could get because doing ministry is even better than doing golf. So now here we are, you know, through the game of golf. I mean, it's icing on the cake. We get to do ministry together. So it's really special. That's awesome. Yeah. We've come a long way. You know, we used to, (laughs) spend the night at each other's houses when we were about, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, staying up late in the night, acting like total idiots. And uh, so now we're hopefully trying to do something productive, which is fun. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have come a long way. I'll have to second that. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's um, take advantage of the fact we've got you on a Monday after a major. Uh, just give us a rundown about the PGA Championship week, uh, how that went. Uh, walk us through that week. Yeah, so I've been on a on a really bad run of golf lately. Uh, I hadn't had a you know a good showing since RSM in November. Um, definitely in a in a rut, but you know I think after playing this game for a long time, I, I know that even though ruts are really frustrating, you got to stay patient and keep working because you never know when your week uh, might be. You know, and I found myself yesterday. I didn't know at the time, but I guess I was only two off what ended up winning through eight holes. So I had 10 holes to go and I was only two shots away from the winning score of a major. Um, And so, you know, looking back, even though I shot two every yesterday and was frustrated, there was a ton of things that I did better last week that I hadn't been doing lately, like putting. Um, You know, I got new irons. I've been struggling with approach shots out of the rough. These new irons helped a lot. Um, And, you know, Saturday was one of those once in, you know, you know, five-year round that uh, was just super fun. You don't expect it. I'm typically not a great cold-weather golfer, and it was cold. It was 57, blowing 20, you know, misty, like all my – like those, you know, cold and wet are like the two things I hate most. Um, but I just, you know, had a nice stretch there on the back, shot 30 on the back nine and put myself not really in contention. You know, I think I was still eight back, but – you know, at least contention to have a really good week. And, you know, I got done yesterday and I was frustrated. 
because I had, you know, a good opportunity for a solid week. But, you know, 24 hours have gone by roughly, and I'm, you know, only more confident now from last week going into this week at Colonial. So um, I love Southern Hills. It was really hard. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys saw the routing of the tees. That, that was not the best move, I don't think, on uh, the architect's part and, you know, the club's part because we just got jammed up multiple times throughout the round and it was awkward and you're waiting on the guys to hit that was the only downer to the week I think other than that it was super super good test and um man Justin hit some unbelievable shots down the stretch in the playoff yeah and that, and that round Saturday you were low round of the day by two shots weren't you is that right yeah I think so yeah well yeah, yeah that was in a second I was gonna say it's a nice little day for Wake Forest golf wasn't it yeah. Yeah. I mean, Will, I've played with Will a few times now and he is so good. Um, what I love about golf too, another side note, you know, he missed the cut in Dallas in his home event on a, you know, what I've heard is a ball strikers golf course. And, you know, one, it shows, I think his mind and he has such a great personality for golf. He's kind of like Dustin, like he just forgets and moves on pretty quick. And, you know, after a miscut on an easy golf course, he finds himself in a playoff at a major. So super impressed with him yesterday. Um, I think, you know, his potential is through the roof, as good as maybe anybody on tour right now. Um, so he, he earned a lot of respect from, you know, people yesterday. Yeah. And Cameron Young's a dick, isn't he? Cameron Young. Yeah. And he just continues to, I mean, I think he's had six top threes this year, maybe um handles pressure handles the big moment um you know Willie his his caddy is, is one of his best friends and you know he's he he's become just like a great caddy like just learned a lot and um yeah they're a great team so fun yeah Thought, thoughts overall on what happened in the outcome of the PGA well I love a three-hole playoff I mean I never really thought about it until yesterday somebody asked me and I guess like you go 72 holes and then you go sudden death and it's like, man, is the tournament really decided on one bad swing, you know, or somebody makes a 30 footer. So I, I feel like three holes at least puts a little buffer in there and I, I like it. And they were, the three holes were perfect. Reachable par five, reachable par four and a tough par four. Um, but yeah, I mean, JT hit an unreal shot on 17. Um it's such – it's a perfect reachable par four. You know, if you go right, there's a creek. If you go long, it's a really tough up and down. You really hope to hit it short left in the bunkers or push it and hit it – I hit it right of the green in the bunkers, which is actually the best spot to be, but you're close to the water, so it's a little bit of a risk. Um, and then just two lasers on 18. So, you know, JT's one of those guys, I feel like, when he gets in, you know, in his groove, he's as good as anybody because – in his own element, like he does everything so well. Um, he's long, he shapes shots, unreal chipper. You could argue maybe the best chipper on tour and uh, streaky putter. I mean, not a bad putter, oftentimes a great putter, but when he's putting well, he makes a lot of putts. And I think he finished the week second in putting. So, um, yeah, I'm surprised he doesn't win more, even though he's already won a ton. You know, he's just one of those guys that, Everyone on tour thinks the world of his game. Buddy, what what difference do you think Bones makes on his bag? So he obviously hired Bones earlier in the year. Um, is that a 
does that move the needle, do you think, uh, down the stretch in a major championship? If so, how? Maybe speak to the role of a caddy, uh, yeah, especially I, veteran caddy. Yeah, I definitely think it does. And I think I think the veteran caddy's talent will show itself most in the high-pressure moments. Um, you guys might have seen this. I read a great little story last night. JT played bad Saturday. I think he shot four over. He was on the range with his dad and Bones getting so frustrated, not hitting it good. And Bones kind of pulled him aside and basically told him, like, hey, you've been putting in great work. Like, you are on the right track. We are seeing a lot of good things happen. Like, I want you more than anything before you hit, you know, good shots. I want you to leave tonight, like, feeling good about your game, like feeling positive about where we're headed. And so I think in that moment, he recognized that this guy probably isn't going to win the PGA, but he has an opportunity to have a really solid Sunday to continue like, you know, a season that could be really special. And apparently it meant the world to JT and it kind of turned his whole mindset around. And I think only a veteran having seen, you know, what this game can do to us and make us crazy he knew in that moment, it's more important for me to get inside of his head and change his mind versus, you know, getting a technique better and hitting good shots. Um, and who knows what it did yesterday? You know, maybe it calmed him down. You know, it probably caused him to exhale a little bit and be like, okay, he's right. We are on the right track. We have seen good things happening lately. Um, and, and, and Willie, I think down the stretch, you want, at least for me, I think most guys, you want your caddy to be super level. You don't want them too up. You don't want them too down. As you get in contention, the moment does change and evolve. And so you go from you're not a factor in the tournament, you're six back, to all of a sudden you're one or two back. So the, the situation is now maybe more important, you know, in, in some people's eyes. Or, you know, you have an, a new opportunity you didn't have two hours ago. And so you really need that guy beside you, your teammate to make you feel like everything's normal. Um and just calm you down because it does get to a point where you feel it and you're excited. And that's a good thing, but I didn't hear much commentary between them on the course, but I'm sure bones did a great job of that. Yeah. So, and you've mentioned the word frustration um, with JT and then also your own game um, after Sunday's round. Uh, and then you said you've been in a rut, like what are you working on right now? What does that look like? And then how do you like measure your success in golf? How do you know when you're moving in the right direction? Yeah, great question. I've been working on a lot of things. Um, I would say the two main things. I've been working on my putting stroke. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of times we'll have these good intentions of go going to work on something in our technique, and it makes sense on paper. And you work on it, and what you're working on gets better, but you create another problem that you didn't see, you know, before that. It's like the whack-a-mole game, you know, we yeah. always talk about. You hit one mole, and then another one pops up. Um, and so that's why I've been working with putting. Um, kind of, my, it, it really starts with my setup. I got my right arm too far under to try to promote more of a kind of an inside natural arc putting stroke. Um, and it just caused me to have way too much face rotation. And we didn't see it till, you know, a few months after I was working on it. And then my golf swing, I typically play with an open club face and I kind of roll the club inside. And in the past, when I've tried to square the face going back, my backswing becomes so up, kind of like JT's backswing, that I, I become so steep on the way down with so much lag and I kind of get what we call jammed. I have nowhere to go. 
Um, and so that part's been frustrating because the better I get my club face, mm-hmm. I create a new problem by getting more upright and getting more steep. Um, and so we've, we've really been working hard on square face, but more inside, you know, Paul, my caddy, um, I kind of have two swing coaches and Butch Harmon, who I see a couple times a year. And then Paul, you know, day in, day out and they communicate and I communicate, I communicate with Butch. Uh, so it's this kind of triangle effect. And, um, what Paul noticed was my best years of ball striking. He has this video from all those years that I did play with my club, my club face rolled way inside of most tour players, but the face was square. And so he said, Hey, I don't care anymore if your face roll or if your club rolls inside your hands, as long as that face is square, we can play great golf. Um, and so that's kind of what I've been focused on. And I think to the second part of your question, Toby, where, where you know what you're working on is the right direction is when in the bigger moments or when you need to hit a shot, when you feel like, and not just one shot, a tournament of shots or down the stretch on a Friday, if you're on the cut line, if you're seeing like good results when you're feeling pressure, because we can, any of us can go to the range and make a golf swing look pretty and hit a good shot. And it's a whole different ball game when, it really matters. And, you know, back nine Sunday. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, yesterday I called Paul after on my way to the airport just to kind of get some thoughts out and, you know, like a good coach, good veteran caddy, you know, my mind's wandering a little bit and he kind of brings me back like, no, 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 no. We're working on the right stuff. We just got, we need more reps. We need to keep going with it. Um, and so that made me excited that, you know, I'm not introducing some new mole to go whack. Yeah. It's amazing how one problem will be corrected yet. Then a new problem comes up and you're going, where did this come from? Exactly. I know it's frustrating. One one more golf question before we kind of move in a, I think a faith direction, which Toby and I would both like to do, but Webb, one of the things I think sets you apart golf wise is um, you're really good at getting the ball in the hole. You know, and so I remember being on a golf trip a couple of years back and we're on the range and you're looking at my golf swing and, you know, like, like any human, I think my golf game is more important than everybody else's. Uh, and like any golfer, I think I'm good and worthy of attention. So I ask you to look at my golf swing and I'm, I'm hitting all these shots, 10 yards left, 10 yards left. And I'm like, buddy, why am I hitting everything left? And you look at me and you go, you know what I would do? And I said, what? And, and you said, Sorry, I aimed 10 yards right. And, <laughs> but that, that's kind of what makes you great on the golf course. So quickly talk about to the competitive golfer, the difference between playing golf and playing golf swing. And at yeah. what point do you, do you get off track, man, and just go score a golf ball? How do you yeah. kind of find that balance? Talk us through how you approach that. Yeah, that's such a good question. And I actually have two great fresh, tangible examples of where I did a great job of it last week and a horrible job. So my first round on Thursday, the eighth hole is this monster par three, like 245, 250. And the wind's right to left, blowing 20 miles an hour. And the right club for me probably was a five wood, like a hold five wood. But if I pull it, long left is a creek. And I'm just not great at holding five woods. But Paulie, you know, to a caddy, that's our only club. It's a hold five wood. And uh, he comes in, I kind of whisper to him. I say, hey, I'm not feeling that hold. What do you think about like a hook three iron? And he kind of thinks about it for a second. And he knows by now that means I'm uncomfortable with five wood. He needs to like, unless he hates it, he needs to let me go. 
so he's like, I love it. So I <laughs> like, this, like, like he loved it. He, he didn't <laughs> like it at all. <laughs> so I aimed this ball. I want to say 12 yards right of the green. And I want to say 25 to 30 yards right of the pin. And I play it way back in my stance. And I'm sure the people behind the team were like, where is this guy aiming? And I hit a 30-yard hook three iron, and it came out head high, landed five yards from the green, perfect, rolled up to about 10 feet. And after that, Paulie goes, I have to remember this kind of stuff when you're playing. Like, you're a field player. You don't see numbers. You see shots. You see windows and curve. And then the bad part is, on 18 yesterday, I hit a great three down the right center. I now have to cut it about 20 yards with a seven iron. And in my head, I started getting so technical, like thinking, you know, taking the club, you know, outside, swinging left. And if I just, if you rolled me out of bed, put me behind that ball and said, hey, what are you going to do here? I would just walk up and imagine a 30-yard slice in seven iron and not even think about technique. I hit a really bad shot yesterday with a seven iron. Um, but yeah, to, to bring it all back, and I think we've learned a lot from watching JT play. I think we've learned a lot from watching Tiger play. A lot of times with the technology at hand that we have, it's really easy to get wrapped up in. I need to hit certain angles in my backswing. Um, I need it to look a certain way on video. Most players do, you know, who hit it well do this. When I played with Bubba Watson yesterday, probably the last truly great shot maker in the game, and it's a joy to watch him play. Even if, you know, he didn't play great yesterday, it's still amazing to watch him play because um, he, he sees a shot, he feels a shot, and he just hits it. And, and, and that would be my encouragement to any young golfers listening, college golfers, um, as, as good as – get as good as you want to get technically, but you have to develop and know how to hit shots because there's going to be so many times when you're uncomfortable and you just need to chip a seven iron or slice a four iron or hook a nine iron. And I tell you what, when I'm uncomfortable and there's a left pin, all I see is like a hook. I mean, I, I want to aim right, you know, too far right probably and, and see that ball curve. Um, but that's what makes me comfortable. And I've, I've hit a lot of great shots doing that when it wasn't probably the, the correct shot. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was so mad at myself yesterday on 18 after that because I'm that's not me at all. And – I don't know why I did it. I mean, I hope I don't do it again, but yeah. So it sounds like you're trying to explain Romans chapter seven. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't it. understand what I do. What I hate, that is what I do. <laughs> I cannot do what I want to do. I'm tell I'm uh, calling Polly and telling him we got it. We figured it out. Exactly. It's right an age old verses, problem, Polly. Verse, verses 14 to 25. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. But take us kind of into shifting gears into your, into your faith background. So um, yeah, a lot of guys are listening to this, probably are college golfers or maybe even some high school golfers. So take us back to Webb as a young man, kind of family you grew up in, role your faith played, um, mm -hmm. how you viewed Christianity. Take us kind of into the pre-Christ Webb. And then maybe if you would, tell us how you came to know the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up um, – being very familiar with all things Christianity. Um, you know, my parents have been believers for a long time. Church on Sunday was a very important thing for my dad and my mom for us to be there with them. Um, you know, in, in middle school and high school, I loved all the Christian things, FCA, Young Life, 
you know, all the Bible studies at Bojangles. Um, and, you know, that kind of continued into college. And I think, you know, if you'd stopped me in middle school, high school, college, before my senior year and asked me about, you know, my faith or am I a Christian? I, I would have definitely said I was a Christian and, you know, I, I wouldn't have had really any testimony to tell. Um, I would have had no conversion to talk about. It was just what I was so familiar with my whole life. And I think if I could have articulated my faith in high school or college, um, I might've given you some answers to make it seem like I was a Christian. Um, but it wasn't until something happened in my life that really caused me, uh, to wrestle with my faith that I realized I probably wasn't a Christian. Um, so senior year of college, uh, I had dated my wife, you know, all, all through college, she had graduated and she was in a, a Bible study at her company that she was working for in Atlanta. And she became getting kind of convicted of certain sin in her life and, and so she showed up at, at my house in Winston-Salem and broke up with me and basically said, I want to pursue the Lord uh, with all my, my heart. And I feel that you and I um, are going down a path that's affecting my relationship with the Lord. Um, and so that caused me to get really uh, sad for the first time in my life. I mean, I thought we were going to get married shortly after college. And it wasn't like a, we're going to break up for a little bit. It was like, we're done. But what it did, guys, is it caused me to really examine my heart, my mind, my faith. Um, we were a few weeks away from Christmas break. So um, I remember there was this pastor who loved golf. I didn't know him that well, but I asked him if he would meet up with me to talk about all things life, faith, golf, and girls and all that. Um, and after our one hour kind of meeting at Brugger's, I walked out thinking, I don't know if I'm a Christian. And I said, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I remember thinking not in like a critical way. I don't want this more of like a, a sobering examination of, okay, what you talked about and what we kind of saw in the New Testament passages we looked at is when someone encounters Jesus, when someone kind of sees the gospel, hears the gospel, understands the gospel for the first time in their life, and they want to become a Christian, that their lives change and look different. They are not um, easy going about their sin. They realize their sin has affected and offended, um, a holy God. And, um, and, and so there was like a, a week or two period. I remember where, uh, I wanted to become a Christian. And obviously, uh, when we want to become a Christian, it's, it's really easy. And I was making it, uh, to, to be a lot more difficult than it was, but, um, you know, I don't think there was one night for me where I became a Christian. It was just this period of few weeks, uh, you know, the Christmas break. And I remember driving back to campus for the first time. I was excited about the Lord. I was excited about reading my Bible. Um, and I, I think I was experiencing what the Bible talks about, a new birth, a new creation. Um, and, you know, you guys might have heard this phrase, uh, you know, to those of you who, who are listening, uh, the Christian duty versus Christian delight. Uh, reading my Bible, going to, you know, athletes in action, going to church on Sunday became a delight, not a duty. Um, and so I think looking back, um, I believed a lot of these things in my head. I don't think it had affected my heart. I hadn't repented of my sin. I hadn't given my life to Christ. I haven't, I hadn't at that point made my life's mission to honor God, to enjoy God, to, to live for him. It was all about me. It was all about Webb Simpson promoting my name, 
growing my fame, um, wanting to make a, a dent in the world of professional golf. Um, and so last two quick stories that kind of solidified my faith. Um, Williams part of this at Bay Hill, I played in the Arnold Palmer Invitational my senior year in March as an amateur. And I, I birdied the last two holes on Friday to make the cut on the number. And I got interviewed after the round. And the reporter asked me just about how I was able to make the cut, stay calm, yada, yada, yada. And William had texted me Joshua 1-9 by, by the way, that morning. By the way, a birdie on 17 at Bay Hill is a nice birdie. 18-2. I'm closing this yeah. door. Hang on. William, where where were the pins on 17-18 while he closes the door? <laughs> I think he had a back right on 17, which he went on to make a, yeah. a hole-in-one on a couple years later, which was very fun. Um, and then 18 was front left, a little chip in. Nice. Yeah. In nice fact, memory. You know, yeah. And, well, I remember because a group of us, you hit it kind of short right, and it almost went in the hazard. Almost got up, then almost went in the hazard. And uh, so he's got a little – 30 foot, you know, chip. And so there's about five of us there watching and we just huddled up around the green and dude, I was kind of a new Christian. And I was like, really believed in the power of God. I, st- I still do, but I would say there's a little naivety at, at that point. And so I just got people together and said, let's pray, let's pray for this thing to go in. And so we just, you know, looking like a fool right there by the 18 grandstand and we pray. And then, you know, 20 seconds later, he strikes that chip with a pin out, just rolled in like a five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Joshua 1 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong, be courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So, guys, I just said this to the reporter. All I told him was Joshua, or all I told him was that my best friend had texted me a Bible verse that morning and I put it in my yardage book and it helped me stay calm. That's all I said. Mm-hmm. He says, What verse was it? I said? Joshua 1 9. I didn't tell him what it said. He didn't ask. So I don't remember the days that well, but sometime maybe Sunday night or Monday morning, he writes an article about kind of my week and making the cut. And he begins the article with quoting the verse and he looked it up and kind of printed what it said. And I remember this moment so well, I felt like the Lord through his spirit just kind of revealed to me that, hey, you're trying to make your name look great for all these agents, club companies, you name it. Uh, but your talent is about bringing me glory, not about making much of your name. Um, so that was like a stamp of, okay, Lord, like I get it. And not only do I want to play for your name, like it'll, I'll find more joy that way. Like when you're doing something outside of yourself for the purpose of someone else, like it's always more fulfilling. And then lastly, um, ACCs were one month later. I'd always wanted to win the ACC championship. I played so bad the first three years, finished close to last place. I break through, I shoot 14 under, I win by six, set a record at the time. So in my golf world, this was it. I had arrived. And on Monday morning, I wake up in Winston-Salem and I'm thinking about it, you know, expecting to feel amazing and like, you know, king of Wake Forest golf. And I feel horrible. I feel about this big. And I'm a new Christian. I don't really know what to make of it. So I called Dave Owen, the pastor who I met with, and just said, hey, why do I feel this way? Uh, this is, you know, a weird feeling after coming off my biggest win as a college golfer. And he just said, Webb, um, you know, you'd always wanted to win it, and you put it on this pedestal. And 
you know, you treated it like if you got it, uh, that's all you need in golf. That's all you need in life. Um, and so I remember he said something. He said, when we do that, when we put something on a pedestal, when we, you know, what's called an idol, an idol will do one of two things. Either one, whatever you're chasing, money, a girl, ACC championship, if you don't get it, it'll never forgive you, meaning you'll keep chasing it until you get it. Or two, if you do get it, it won't satisfy you. And he said, Webb, Jesus is the only one, the only thing that can do both. He can fully forgive you of your sins and he can fully satisfy you. So you don't have to run after other stuff. And that was like, man, I I understand like that makes sense. And so that kind of six month period of my life was when I became a Christian and man, it set me up on a great, um, it it was so timely of the Lord because I, I was about to turn pro there would have been a lot of temptations for me to start thinking life's all about me. And the Lord really solidified like, Hey, go, go play golf, go chase the dream of being a professional golfer, but do it for my glory. And it'll be way more fulfilling that way. Anyways. Can I dig in on that a little bit where you closed? Yeah. So something that I think a lot of us who work with competitive golfers or spend time with them that we bump up against a fair amount is all right, if I become a Christian or if I surrender my life fully to Christ or if I live and play for his glory, then I'm going to lose my competitive edge. You know, I'm not going to get everything out of my game. And so, you know, did you stop being competitive when you became a Christian? Where does like going and trying to be the best player you can possibly be and doing it for the glory of God, where does that meet? Talk us through how you think about that tension that we sometimes feel. Guys, I'm smiling right now because I feel like as a Christian, like being a competitor, being an athlete is so much better both ways in victory and defeat. Like it really is like in victory. Why is it better? It's better because when I won the U.S. Open in 2012, I was a Christian at the time. So time frame, I became a Christian 2007, 2008, right there at the end of the year, beginning of the year. 2012, I won the U.S. Open. I feel like I could, I enjoyed that win more than a non-Christian because I knew that it was going to go by so fast. It was going to pass so fast. Like it was a gift from the Lord that I won. Does he want me to enjoy it? Absolutely. But in a few short years, I will be forgotten. Even on the trophy, which sits right over here, there's names on there of guys I've never heard of. Like I'm a nobody very soon. And so why does that make me enjoy it more? Because it's not about me. Like it is what it is. It's one tournament and the best players in the world are there. And it's one of the majors. It's a big deal. Yes. But it's going to go away like this. And I think when you don't have that perspective, when a major is everything and you do win, I don't know what, you know, where JT is in his faith, but I think there's this kind of nagging the next one, the next one. Like I got to get another one. Like he has two, his good buddy, Jordan, what does he have, three or four? You know, I guarantee I he's, thinking about, yeah. he's thinking about him. Like, I want to get to Jordan's level. And Jordan's thinking, man, I want to get to Mickelson's level of seven, whatever, six. And so it's this never-ending, exhausting cycle. Whereas as a Christian, you're like, no, Lord, like, thank you. Like, that was a gift. Like, nothing is promised. Like, my, the fact that I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning breathing, my heart pumping, that's not promised. It's not a given. 
So every day is a gift. Everything is a gift. A major championship is a massive gift. And, and so you just, you know, you hold it like this and you thank the Lord. Um, and then in defeat, why I think being a Christian is so much easier in defeat, man, the sovereignty of God is a wonderful thing to think about as a Christian, because if I believe that God is sovereign, which means he's in control of all things, like he holds the world together. He's plotting my life. Like I'm trying to be faithful by his strength to, to go after what he wants me to go after, to live how he wants me to live. But ultimately the Lord has already written my story. He's already written my days. And so like yesterday, I'm frustrated after the round. I feel like I lost an opportunity to have a great week at a major championship. Um, and so I'm frustrated. Like I feel it. I've been working hard. I wanted more out of yesterday, but as a Christian, I have this peace uh, that is so strong that like I can rest. I can trust that the Lord continues to have purpose for me, even in a struggle like that, um, that nothing's wasted. And so there, it just brings so much meaning to defeat or times like you know, I've been in a rut that, um, that he's teaching us stuff that I don't want to miss. And so it's so freeing as a, as a Christian to, to do this game, uh, both on the good days and the bad days. And I think to you young listeners, um, who are just starting out or turning pro or, you know, trying to figure out the college golf thing, um, even as a Christian, um, a, a buddy of mine once said to me that, I made some comment, like, I don't think the Lord cares about what I shoot. And he made some comment back. He goes, I think he cares a lot more than you think he does about your golf. And what my friend meant was that God is in the details of life. He's in the details of my everyday life. I think it brings some glory when I work hard. I think it, he gets delight when I hit uh, a cut seven iron to four feet. Um, I think the Lord is in the details. And, um, and so I've stayed just as competitive as I was before as a Christian with golf, if not more. Um, but like the bad days don't sit with me as long. Uh, and the good days are, are more of just, man, that was a good day. You know, what's for dinner? And so it's this kind of lighthearted, lightheartedness that, that happens. And um, it's not everything, you know, and uh, that's a good thing. It's a good feeling for me. Yeah, I like so, how you talked about you can still be frustrated while fully trusting the sovereignty of God. Like, it's not yeah. just going, all right, well, I'm frustrated with maybe giving up an opportunity in contention to use your words, but it's you can still be frustrated in that. You don't just go, well, God's sovereign, therefore I shouldn't feel disappointment over this. That would just be Correct. stoicism. And yep. to be able to go, man, this was frustrating. Like, you can hold that so loosely and, and just trust God in that. It's so good. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I already had a time, I had about an hour today where I got to reflect on, okay, you know, when you're frustrated, you don't want to learn from stuff, but I made myself do it for an hour. Okay. These are the things I did wrong. Here's how I can get better for next week. And so, you know, again, I want to be as good as I can possibly be. And so just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm just going to, you know, have the attitude of, man, God's in control. He's got it. No, God's given me a gift to go out and work as hard as anyone, you know, uh, and if I don't, I dishonor him, I dishonor the gift he gave me. Um, so I think as Christians, yes, we should be among the hardest workers in the room. Yeah. You feel, you feel like you have, we talked about this a lot, Webb, you have an obligation to steward or to manage or to take care of what God has given you. You That's know, right. one of the ways you honor him is saying, all right, Lord, I don't, I might not have the same ceiling as Dustin Johnson or Rory McIlroy, 
but my job is to get the most that I can out of me. Exactly. You know? And and then the results are the Lord's, and that frees you up to go be you on the golf course to the glory of God. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And and, and starting with the end, you know, that last day, or let's take a year. The se- let's say the season's done December first. You know, what do I have to do on December first to be able to look back and say this was a great year? And I'm not talking about results, but I worked hard. I had a good plan in place. I worked the plan. Um, and you know, when you, when you take care of those things, the things that we can control, I feel like that's when like true peace comes as a athlete or college golf fellowship guy, you know, whatever it might be like, that's where peace comes is that we've done what the Lord's asked us to do and the results, we just got to live with them. Okay. What about, how much, how are we doing on time, dude? So we're 38 minutes in, so we, we got some, we got some time. So keep going. Okay. Um, buddy, what about just more basically apart from golf, just your walk with the Lord? So like, what are you reading in the Bible? How does that time even look for you, work for you? How do you handle that on an off week? Um, you know, what's it look like for you to kind of meet with the Lord on a day-to-day basis when you're on the road? Yeah. Um, man, I love my time with the Lord. I, I, every day I get up, you know, whatever time my day starts, I, I try to, get about 45 minutes to an hour with the Lord. Um, you know, some of those mornings can be early on the road, but it's always worth it. I just feel like I'm a sinful idiot, you know, without, if, if I don't get time with the Lord, um, you are I'm still man, a sinful idiot <laughs> after, uh, but it just puts a day in perspective for me. Um, you know, last week I was kind of immersed in Psalm 73 and first Thessalonians three, And, you know, a typical day of quiet time for me, I'll read for a little bit and sometimes I'll pray after. Sometimes I'll read and pray while I'm going. Um, You know, like you said, Toby, I'm a dad of five kids, husband of Dowd. And so they're constantly on my mind on the road. And so I'm praying for them, thinking about them throughout the morning. Um, But, you know, the the longer I've become a Christian or the longer I've been a Christian, the my favorite type of time with the Lord is just reading a little bit uh, per day and really thinking on it. I feel like I can remember it a lot better. Um, And, you know, I'm continuing to be blown away with Paul's perspective that he had. Um, I got to share this. I'll pull up my phone real quick. This just hit me last week. Uh, First Thessalonians three, I'm just going to read the first five verses. All right. Therefore, when we, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you, yourself, you yourselves know that we are destined for this. What are they destined for? Suffering and affliction. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. And so Paul and I, my caddy Paul and I talked about that last week multiple times, just how, what is it about the Christian faith that people will become Christians. And if they rightly know what is to become of them, that they're promised, one of the things they're promised is suffering and affliction. So why would they choose that um, for themselves? And 
Paul had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He had seen the Lord and talked to the Lord. Um, and to him, he realized after that encounter that it was worth it, that whatever the Lord had for him was worth it. A life with the Lord through persecution and affliction was so much better, eternally better than a life without him and a life of ease. Um, and I was just blown away that Paul in verse five, he was not concerned with the fact that they were going to go through afflictions or what even the details of those afflictions were going to be. He didn't, he wasn't worried about that. He was worried that Satan himself was going to tempt them away from their faith. Um, and, and so Paul, I feel like puts our suffering, our trials, whatever we're going through in, in such great perspective for us. And so I just drew so much strength from that. You know, I had, I was sick for a week, obviously not going th- through near what these people are going through, been in a golf rut for a few months but it's just a great reminder, like almost like if the Apostle Paul was whispering through the pages of Scripture to me a few thousand years later, like there's purpose in it. Do not let the tempter tempt you away from continuing to walk with the Lord and honoring him. Um, so before a major championship, I don't need hype music. I don't need, you know, to think about how good I am. I need Paul to put me in my place and then freeze me up to go you know, hit some shots at Southern Hills. So I was all jacked up off that. That's awesome. I mean, back in high school, it would have been that M&M when you're running out of the tunnel with a smoke machine, you know. Now <laughs> eight miles, something from eight miles. That's right. Let's go, baby. Yeah. Dude, I, I think one of the sweetest shifts in the world happens when we realize that the, the primary purpose for which we're here is to know Jesus Christ and mm-hmm. to be made more like him. That's right. You know? And then good golf is working to that end and bad golf is working to that end, but nothing gets in the way of it. God is using whatever we go through, whether it's a U.S. Open championship or a struggle with an anchor band, he's using everything in between that we would know Jesus more and be made more like him. And when that becomes the big E on the high chart of my life, when that becomes the main thing, one theologian, J.I. Packer says, everything else seems to fall in place of its own accord. And I think, I think that's true. Yeah. It's so true. It really does. I mean, I think we can all agree what we're after, what every human wants is peace in their heart and mind. And there's only one place to find it, you know, and it's, it's been fun knowing you guys and experiencing it with you guys. I know you guys all know, I mean, it's Jesus is, is where life is found. Um, and he said himself, he came to give us life and life abundantly, but that doesn't mean birdies every day. I mean, nah, Jack, but it, so so pray for your buddies chip it in every every time would you say that's not naive william you know i would say <laughs> god is god is in, you know from studying people i see that god is gracious oftentimes with young christians and sometimes are just bold asks he honors you know and i think they can honor him because it shows we we believe Love so I, i'll i'll take that i count that as the answer prayer i think i'm gonna high five the lord one day when i meet him Lord, right. thanks for thanks for God hey. in there. Hey, so listen, I've prayed those like those silly prayers, like William prayed for me at Bay Hill. Silly, amazing, profound prayers. I've prayed those uh, a few times. I feel like the only one that I remember that like I feel like the Lord just said, "Okay, you like a child, like sure, you can have ice cream." At the par three tournament at Augusta, my longtime swing coach William and I's head pro growing up was caddying for me, and it was going to be a one off. I mean. <laughs> And Ted used to work at Augusta. 
So I wanted to win the par three. I had thought about this. I'm going to win the par three contest. I was stinking it up. I was like two over through eight. I was so down, no momentum. And on the way to eight, on the way to nine, I just said, Lord, I'm going to be like, like a child. I'm asking you for a hole in one. I just want Teddy to have a highlight. And sure enough, I hit a pull hook sandwich. Bad shot, but it caught the slope. <laughs> came back and I went in. And I made a one. So, yeah. Uh, you that know, we're, so we're just for the record, for anybody listening, God does not promise any of this stuff. You know, we're just a bunch <laughs> yeah. of idiots. And he does tell us to bring our requests to him. And sometimes when we bring them, he is a gracious God. But only That's count right. on what scripture promises. That's what our encouragement is. If That's scripture right. commands it or promises it, you can bank on it. If it doesn't, don't expect it. That's right. Yeah. When my daughter says, Daddy, can we have ice cream tonight? Sometimes the answer is yes, but it's a surprise. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> sure yeah. is. So. Yeah. Yeah. We might need to edit that whole part out. You know? Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, their one, right, one takeaway is going to be if they just pray hard enough, they'll get a hold of one. Yeah. Seriously, that's, that's not it. Just become a person of the word. Live to know Christ. Let's be made more like him. Um, okay, I know yeah. Toby's got some rapid-fire questions, but Webb, it's hard to talk to you without you talking about um, marriage and local church. So two of the things I just respect about you most, you're a good, good husband that loves your wife and prioritizes your marriage, mm -hmm. and, um, and you love and serve your, your church. Mm -hmm. um, so can you just speak to to both of those things and the role that your faith has played in kind of making you a man who loves his bride and who loves mm -hmm. the church. Yeah. So, um, I mentioned in my testimony, my, my girlfriend at wake broke up with me and we did stay broken up for about a year. Um, and we got back together, but it wasn't until I feel like the Lord had us in much different places. Um, did we get back together? We were both pursuing the Lord for the first time in our life. We were growing in our faith um, there was a commitment first to the Lord that, Hey, we're going to live our life to honor you, Lord. Like whatever that looks like, we're willing to do it. And two, we want to honor each other. You know, we want to honor you, Lord. We want to honor each other. And we're, we do not want to screw this up again. Um, and so there was a seriousness to our relationship the second time of having, you know, something outside of either one of us that kind of helped us be steady and, um, there was a purpose to why we were dating. You know, we wanted to get married. We wanted to start a family. Um, and so the second go around was so much better in every way. Um, and the only difference was we were walking with the Lord. We were, both of us were idiots prior. Um, just we were each other's world in such a bad way. Um, and the second time around, the Lord was our world and we still loved each other so much. And it was a beautiful thing. And, and so, um, few months later, uh, we got engaged. A few months later, we got married um, and we started a family right away. But, um, you know, we were at my grandfather's funeral. This was May of 2009. And the pastor said that my grandparents were married 68 years and they just built something incredible for that long. And at the time, Dow and I were planning on waiting to get married a few years. I don't know why people do that if they love each other, just get married. Marriage is so much better. Um, and we decided that day, the day of my grandfather's funeral, that we were going to get married and get married fast. So we wanted to start a marriage and build a life uh, with the Lord. And um, it's been amazing. And, and guys, 
if you're going to play golf for a living, if you're going to do whatever you're going to do in life, marry someone who loves the Lord first and is just going to be for you and supports you. Because when I go out and play in these tournaments, I'm leaving a wife and five kids behind for a week or two weeks at a time or three weeks out of four or four weeks out of five. Um, and as hard as that is on my wife, one, she knows that this is where the Lord's called me. And she makes me feel like I'm going to conquer the world when I leave. And that isn't just because it's doubt. It's because she loves the Lord and she understands that the Lord has called me to this. Um, and she's walking with the Lord every day. And she knows one of you know, her roles is to encourage me and to make me feel like, hey, what I'm doing matters. And um, and so that's huge. So guys, I, I would encourage you to date for the purpose of getting married, find a woman, not who loves golf, but who loves the Lord. Um, and man, it's been, we got married in January, 2010. So 12 years of, uh, pure joy. And then the local church, um, guys, it's real easy. I think in our culture to just do a Bible study once a week and not worry about church. But, uh, the purpose of the church is to equip us to go out and do ministry throughout the week. And so we need to be on Sunday mornings, sitting under God's word, the preaching of God's word, um, worship him with other believers, um, and just having that regular fellowship every week. I mean, I don't get to go to church every Sunday. I'm playing, I was playing golf yesterday, but when I'm home, um, it is of utmost priority. I want to be there. I want to be with God's people, uh, worshiping and learning, growing in my faith. Um, and we know from God's word that it is uh, super important for us to to kind of cultivate that habit. And um, yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like something I'm supposed to do, even though I am. It feels like, you know, it's a gift to be able to go and I look forward to it, you know, every Sunday. That's good. Well, Webb, just to conclude us out here, I've just got a couple uh, rapid fire questions to learn a little bit more about you um, and then we'll, we'll close it up. But uh, what's your favorite meal with your family? All five kids are there. Favorite meals of family. Favorite meal. Uh, Dowd, I don't cook. So Dowd cooks. This, she makes a Caesar salad, pasta bolognese, and some good bread. Just good old hearty Italian meal. Nice. And what, what's your go-to like dinner on the road? Quick, easy. Most common meal I eat on the road is Chipotle. What's your order there? Burrito bowl with a lot of editing along the way. Yeah. I'm like the Chipotle <laughs> person's nightmare because I want, I want, I'm, I get very specific when I'm in there. All right. Um, another one to learn a little bit more dream foursome. Anybody you want um, that are alive and where would you play? Wow. Can't say us. Can't say us on the podcast. Okay. Yeah. Well, so yeah, my second favorite, yeah. <laughs> my second favorite foursome, I'm going to put, uh, my son, James, he's 11. Uh, my dad who died in 2017 and then probably my longtime friend, coach Ted Kegel, you know, he taught me the game. Um, that would be amazing just to, you know, be able to do that. That's awesome. We'll, we'll take a, to sorry. We'll play the foursome behind you. Yeah, and we'll watch we that. would we would definitely have more fun. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, William, you got you got any final thoughts before we wrap it up? You know, I don't know that I do. I um, 
Well, actually, I do. I, you don't know. I always got too many thoughts. Here, here are my final did. thoughts. That's if why I threw that to if you. you <laughs> you're a young guy um, in competitive golf. Um, I, I, this is a biased opinion, but my strong opinion would be there's nobody better you can learn from than Webb Simpson. Um, mm. And I say that for a few reasons. Number one, you probably don't have the talent of Tiger or DJ or Rory, you know, right. so emulate somebody that's more like you. That's one thing. Um, but then two, I just don't know anybody who's prioritized his walk with the Lord um, as truly and meaningfully. I don't know anybody who's worked as hard. I don't know anybody who has um, loved his wife and family as faithfully while juggling a pro golf schedule, mm. um, treated people the right Thank way you, along the way. And so, my just exhortation to the young guy is learn from learn from Webb. He's Mm. running so well as a pro golfer and I'll just commend to you his way of doing things. Um, And really it's a praise. It's like a little ray of sun that traces back to Jesus himself. And I think it's because Webb's taken seriously the word of God and it's borne a lot of fruit. And so, you know, follow follow that lead. It's worth it. Well, thank you, buddy, for saying that. I do have to say on the podcast that I, I received that encouragement, but a lot of who I am to this day is because of you, Willie. Um, you know, to the listeners, Willie caddied for me right when I turned pro. We were traveling together. You know, he was further along in his walk, so I'm learning from him. He's 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 recycling his books straight to my side of the room in the hotel in those you know those Cambria Suites hotels. Um, but William, William really did help shape my faith and kind of how I thought about God early on and still does to this day. Um, so I can't hear a, an encouragement like that without saying thank you, Willie, for your example, the way you live, um, week in, week out. Um, so thank well, you, buddy. Thanks, man. That's great. Our last funny story, 2012, <laughs> Webb really graciously, uh, you know, invited me to go play at Augusta National with him and uh, Dave O, same guy who's mentored both of us. <laughs> Webb's mentioned a couple times. And, you know, Webb, the year before, he's second on the money list, second on the FedEx Cup. You know, it's a big year for your boy. I mean, he, you know, about, gosh, I think we're talking about seven zeros, you know, that year probably for him and his paycheck. And we go to Augusta National to play. And you know where we stay? <laughs> Comfort Inn and Suites. <laughs> hey, free breakfast, bud. I'm like, man, dude, this is – I appreciate I have, I appreciate good stewardship, but this is problematic. <laughs> they I got mean, free hard-boiled eggs. Can I try it off or something? You don't yeah. want the free hard-boiled eggs? <laughs> man, gosh, I think Webb picked up – I'm pretty sure they would have cooked you for breakfast. Super, super generous of them. Yeah. Buddy, they peel those <laughs> hard-boiled eggs for you. You just pick them up and eat them. Oh, gosh. Those are the good old days. Well, it is fun to hear you guys encourage one another in the Lord and (laughs) um, while while understanding just how big of idiots we are, uh, that we can run together, trust the Lord. And so we are grateful, Webb, for you coming on the podcast today. William, uh, lots of good questions there. Loved listening and and taking part and asking some questions myself. So, guys, thanks for being on Talk Life Faith. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. There. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Golf Life Faith podcast. 
Whether you're a college golfer, a coach, or you just love golf, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at collegegolffellowship.com. Also, check us out on Instagram at College Golf Fellowship and on Twitter at CGF Tweet. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and be on the lookout for the next episode next month. Cheers.